On George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we look at the lengthy, always unique career of one of the finest character actors to ever live, George Kennedy. On this episode, we're looking at the post-apocalyptic science fiction cult comedy, Radioactive Dreams, from 1985. Welcome to George Kennedy is my co-pilot, a podcast devoted to George Kennedy. What a concept! I'm Doug Tilly, and with me is my usual Cinema Smokersport co-host, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Pretty good, Doug. How are you doing? So, so great. So good. <laughs> uh, heading uh, deep into spring, even though it was snowing where I lived just a couple of days ago. But, same, uh, same. Yeah, that's right. Look, it, it's funny. You live in a windy or near a windy city, and I live in a cold area of the planet. And it's, it's, I don't want to talk about weather uh, for any length of time, Liam, but it's, it is disconcerting to look outside and see snow on the ground. It's the sudden ch- – I mean, first of all, it's knowing the song, Sometimes It Snows in April, and living in a place where it's like most Aprils, it snows, actually. Like, it's not like a it's not like a rare occurrence. It's the regular. And How then, does that song go again? Sometimes it snows Pretty in good. April. Liam, do you realize – I don't know if you realize this. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no. <laughs> do you realize that uh, one of our most recent recordings for Cinema Smorgasbord – you did a Gilbert Gottfried impression, and then he died like a week later. Oh, man. I mean, uh, let, let's be clear. Like, because it's Gilbert Gottfried, there's really nothing you could do that would be inappropriate in a, in a way. You know, sure. like, absolutely. This, I understand. This is, this is the brave man who made 9 11 jokes, like, within, mm-hmm. within a week, you know? So, like, I, I, it's not that, but I did feel like. Oh man, I wish I could have pulled. Like, if you remember, I actually didn't do a Gilbert Godfrey impression. You demanded one, and I yes, was I unable did. to deliver. Uh, but I kind of thought, like, oh, I kind of wish I had tried it because that feels more in the spirit of of the gentleman, you know? Yeah, absolutely, Liam. For a figure as towering as George Kennedy to discuss, we of course need a ringer. Joining us, as always, is the great Sarah Jane. How are you doing today, Sarah? I am fine. How are you? I'm doing great, though. I have to say, when I introduce people, you can't ask how I'm doing. Stop it, the both of you. (laughs) (laughs) This podcast isn't about me. It's about the legendary character actor, George Kennedy. Sarah, have you ever done a Gilbert Gottfried impression? (laughs) (laughs) I have not, actually. Were you a a Gilbert Gottfried fan? Would you call yourself a fan, Sarah? Uh, I would not call myself a fan. Mm. I mean, I don't think I've ever sat down and uh, watched uh, a stand-up show or anything with him. But ever, I am like, aware of who he is. Absolutely. In the 1980s, there was this rash of stand-up comedians, and they had like a funny voice, right? They they did a voice like it was Bobcat Goldthwait, obviously, Gilbert Gottfried, and sort of Sam Kinison did that as well. Why, why, why the funny voice? Do you think that would be hard to keep up as your entire personality for decades? It sounds difficult, Sarah. I <laughs> – sorry, I agree. Yeah. Uh, I, I love Bobcat. And I love, uh, well, I didn't love Sam Kinison, but I actually did see him live. Oh! Like with Jessica Hahn Mm. and all of that. It was during that time period, which I think was probably right before he died. I don't, I I can't really remember. It was all a coked few blur. (laughs) I'm joking for them, not me. Sam Kinison, of course, appeared in the Horror Hall of Fame, Liam. So obviously a big fan of genre cinema, or at least he just showed up to that award show. Uh, but yeah, funny voice, Liam, making that your entire personality. Have you ever considered such a thing? Only if I was going to do something as complete as Neil Hamburger. Like that's like yes. a full personality that doesn't exist in the real world. And I kind of like that 
level of commitment. But he's but, lucky because he can turn it on and off, right? When he's right, in his real right, life. And he actually right. has a different version of his reels. Anyway, you're right. It, it could be a little difficult, like a Tony I, Clifton type. I mean, I think that's what was going on with Gilbert Godfrey, too, that he was not... like So, like, I'm acting like Gilbert Godfrey to someone I don't have any connection to. And sure. in a real way, I kind of don't. But also, I'm friends with Perry Shaw. And, uh, you know, anyone who knows Perry knows that, like, his most common guest on his Instagram t-shirt show was Gilbert Godfrey. I mean, who doesn't know that? I mean, Perry's one of those Perry's one of those people that, like, isn't famous but knows a lot of people. And it's just because he has certain interests that then other people (laughs) get into. So, like, he is known for having, I believe he's up to 4,000 t-shirts. And uh, that level of obsession means he knows other people who are obsessed with t-shirts which includes gilbert godfrey and some famous skaters and rock musicians and all the guest list on the show i'm like how did you get all these people he's like they just heard that i like t-shirts so they came on the show and i'm like i mean he must like t-shirts he has so many of them I mean, he built a specialty shelf system in his room mm-hmm. just to store all his shirts. It's well, insane. Yeah. He's an insane person. I'm sure he's very nice. He is a friend of yours. But what a tremendous waste of time. Uh, <laughs> continuing on. <laughs> I should mention that I, that I did mention Bobcat's name earlier. I also love him very much. He's one of the few celebrities where I think, you know, if we got to spend time together, I bet we would get along. Sarah, is there anyone like that? Who's a celebrity that you think? That if you were stuck on an airplane and had 20 minutes of their attention, that you could end up being friends with them at the end of it. Any celebrities that you think you would get along with? Oh, shit. You're supposed to let me know these questions ahead of time. I know. Time. Okay. <laughs> um, no. It's really unfair, too, because Liam is thinking of one right now because he knows know. I'm going to throw it to him. <laughs> um, I, I, honestly, I don't know. At the, oh. at the moment, um, okay. I'm trying to even think of who, who I like. Uh Jamie Lee Curtis, how about that? Yeah, I saw I saw her at South by, and uh, yeah, she looks like she's cool. I like that she's a bit of a dork. I like that she's got kind of a dork edge to her. Not saying that you would only get along with dorks, but I mean that that's a helpful uh, thing. Maybe only speaking as a dork myself, Liam. I mean, I know that you're a, a, not counting a, a, any hardcore musician because let's face it, not real celebrities. Any celebrity that you think that you might get along with? This is kind of cheating. But uh, but I'd say, I guess this you know who knows sure. we don't know these people. But I suspect Pat Oswalt I would get along with. Oh like yeah, just yeah. Seems like, Feels a like chill that is dude. kind of that's that's like a, a softball, right? I mean, everyone does yeah. that. Well, but that's this is what I'm saying though, right? Like anyone. Any celebrity who feels like a reach where it's like, I don't know, maybe I could get along with that person, I don't think I will. Like, I just assume it's one of the reasons why I've never been someone to want to go to a convention and get a signature. It just feels like – now, granted, I have gotten along. So, as you know, I drove around uh, Barbara Crampton for a while. We got along pretty good. Me and Fred Decker got along pretty good. Granted, I was just driving him around. But I it, know but Fred Decker, talked. actually. Oh, so there you go. He's He seemed really cool. I, I, he is. Considering I was just the idiot driving the car, he was very <laughs> he was very friendly, and he remembered my name, and he chatted me up, and that was cool. Wow. Uh, but, like, other, you know, there were other people from that f- festival who were maybe as or less famous who I did not 
get any vibes from and we're not interested in knowing my name so like you know it's it, you never know what you're going to encounter basically was kevin sorbo one of those people he was not <laughs> at that festival but i will say no. he was at one of the fantastic fests and he was in this arcade with us and i literally said to my friend like doesn't he just give off like weird predator vibes and i don't mean the movie I mean, like, <laughs> his mouth opens up like it just <laughs> yeah, yeah, no he, he just he just gives off of like if you're at a party you know and someone comes in you're like i don't like the i don't like the feel of that guy that's how he felt just being in a public place with him i was like i kind of want to leave like i just don't like the vibes off this dude well, throughout this show, if either of you can think of another celebrity that you think you would get along with, please feel free to shout it out. But for now, we need to talk about George Kennedy, the character actor who gives this very podcast <laughs> its name. We need to start today with a Shacky-Doo update. Now, for those who listened to our most recent episode on The Human Factor, you may remember my uh, confusion uh, about the doll that appears throughout the, that film that's uh, called Shacky-Doo. And thankfully on that particular podcast, Sarah Jane let us know that Shacky-Doo was a, well, I don't know what really to refer to it as. It was a uh, a mascot or some sort of, it had some sort of connection to a uh, musician and appeared on his album cover. And a uh, friend of the show, actually a listener of the show, sent us some information about this gentleman, Focadoo. I think we maybe even have mentioned the name on the podcast. His real name is Franco Maria Giannini, uh, an artist from Rome, real name Aldo Parente. He started his career in the beat group I, Baronetti, then with Under 2000, and as soloist with the nickname Folkadoo. He released an odd single in 1972 and played at various festivals, always accompanied by a distinctive puppet produced to him by Ferga, whoever the hell that is, that could even be ordered by the fans through the Chow 2001 magazine. And if uh, both of you look at our outline right now, I actually was able to track down not only a picture of the Shaky-Doo doll, but also the box in which it came from. People, uh, people... Uh, can can go out there and buy used shacky doos. Sarah, what do you think about that? Would you have a shacky do in your home if you could possibly uh, 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 get one? Absolutely, yeah. uh, horrifying, but absolutely, that would be like <clears throat> a star on my on my knickknack shelf. It is a bit of an odd story that this gentleman released a single in 1972 with this doll. And then it ended up showing up in this movie in, I think it was, what, 77? Around that time period. You know, several years later. And it, it, they still decided to make it part of it. Maybe the uh, the creators of The Human Factor were uh, were fans of this musician. Uh, Liam, Shaky do in the house? Yes or no? No, thank you. Liam, on recent episodes of George Kennedy is my co-pilot, we've been watching some a- a- advertisements, television ads featuring notorious pitchman George Kennedy. Uh, and uh, today we're actually going to do uh, one more. Uh, there's actually quite a few out there. I'm sure we'll be covering more in the future. This is an ad for a product called Sinex uh, from the year 1986. Why don't we have a little listen to it, uh, and then we'll see. Uh, we'll hear, of course, George Kennedy's mellifluous voice throughout it. Some have it, some don't. Afrin doesn't have it. Dristan doesn't have it. Only Sinex has it for stuffy noses. Ooh. That quick feeling of relief from instantly penetrating Vicks Vapors, plus a powerful decongestant that opens nasal passages so you breathe freely. Ah, complete relief. For hours and hours, Sinex has it for instant and complete relief in regular and 12-hour extra strength. From Vicks, of course. 
Of course. Now, of course. Sarah, now our listeners right now unfortunately can't see the advertisement that I was just or, referring to. Or fortunately. Maybe fortunately. Could you describe it to us? It's not very, there isn't much going on, but there's certainly, uh, there, uh, just tell us what we get to see in this commercial. Well, uh, you get to see a uh, blind, like a slatted blind, and then George Kennedy and a woman. Yes. In, the same, Ken- in the same shot. Yes, and he has apparently dosed her. Uh, maybe that's not the right word. In fact, almost certainly it's not. <laughs> With this Sinex product. Uh, and she's very enthusiastic about it. it's working its magic. Now, uh, listeners right now might be a little, uh, might be yelling at their listening device saying, Doug, we know what Sinex is. And as well you should, uh, it's been a long available product uh, through the VIX company. I went on the VIX.ca, the Canadian version of the VIX website, to pull this up. After testing under the Medi-Mist nasal spray for three years, Vicks Sinex nasal spray is introduced nationally in the U.S. in 1959 to help provide relief from nasal congestion associated with hay fever and head colds. Uh, Liam, have you ever used uh, Sinex? No, I don't really like... I I don't know about y'all's experience with nasal sprays. Sure. But when I use them, usually it feels like it gets caught in the back of my throat and then I'm tasting them for the next like six hours. And I hate that. And it makes me want to jump out a window. Well, George Kennedy says that this particular product uh, is the only one that has uh, Vicks vapors in it. Does that make you feel differently about (laughs) potentially using Sinex? No, because I still then imagine tasting Vicks vapor for six hours. Maybe that's good. (laughs) Honest, uh, Sarah and Liam, I felt a little weird. Since I discovered a few years back that Vicks VapoRub, the the famous product where you are supposed to rub it on your chest and it's supposed to somehow uh, make a cold go away, that it actually doesn't do anything. That it's just meant to be comfort, uh, comforting and have sort of a, um, uh, what's that stuff that koala bears like? Uh, eucalyptus? Like? Yeah, like kind of a eucalyptus, kind of a, a breathy quality. It doesn't actually open up your pathways or anything like that. It's just a comforting smell. It doesn't really do anything at all. Liam, what do you, what do you think when I, I say mean... that Vicks... Yeah, please. Doug, you feel weird. What about the parents who've been rubbing it on their kids' feet and then putting socks on them? Is, like, Sorry, is that what you're supposed to do with Vicks VapoRub? Well, I would suggest it's not what you're supposed to do because I'm not sure you're supposed to do anything with Vicks VapoRub. It's not clear to me that it does anything. But that is a thing, Doug. And I, maybe it's not in Canada. But no. I, know, I know many a person whose parents rubbed fucking Vicks VapoRub on their feet the bottom of their feet, and then put socks on them. And we're convinced that that was going to have some fucking medicinal effect. And I, you know, knowing nothing about it, I said, there's no way that does anything. There's no fucking way. No, you're supposed to rub it on your chest. Yeah, that's, that's what I believe. how it's Obviously. supposed to be. Obviously. My, my mom never uh, would use that on us because she knew it was crap. And I remember asking... Um, if we could use, like, not necessarily Sinex, but, like, a nasal thing. Sure. And uh, she, in her very proper English accent, said, absolutely not, because once you start using those, you have to keep using those. Huh. That they don't really, you know, that, like, it's like an addiction. Like, people would go through, like, a bottle a day in this stuff, where it just got to the point where, you know, their nose constantly dripped because it needed this stuff, so... Doug, she I want to. So. Doug, I want to point out that I just went to Google to see if I'm a crazy person. Sure. And the number two em- entry on Google when I put Vicks VapoRub and then put a space was 
on feet. So I clicked on it, and there's a huge article about how, guess what? Doesn't do anything if you rub it on your feet, because apparently lots of people rub it on their fucking feet. Why do they rub it on their feet, Doug? I, I mean, I this is something understand. that, look, if you're a listener of the show and know more about this process of putting Vicks VapoRub on your feet, please uh, let us know all about it. Uh, speaking of odd uh, kind of home remedies, uh, this is actually disconnected from Sinex, which we're already pretty disconnected at this point. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, my wife likes to make fun of my family because my mother once told us a story that her sister, my uh, my late aunt, uh, she had club feet, and the way that they fixed it is that they <laughs> that they put her her shoes on the wrong feet, so they put her left shoe on her right no. foot and her right no. shoe on her left foot, no. and it cured her club feet. Now, Liam, you seem to be taking some umbrage with this as no. a potential cure. No. <laughs> well, whatever umbrage you're taking, believe me, my wife has mocked my mother <laughs> mercilessly for years uh, because of this. <laughs> so the, the closest thing like that in my family, Doug, is when I was a kid, uh, like like three, two or three, I touched an iron. And I severely burned my hand. Sure. And um, uh, my, my mom wasn't sure what to do. And my grandfather, uh, who's long passed away, was sure. a surgeon. And he told her to uh, cut open the burned area to let out whatever goo and, and yeah. then push it back <laughs> push it back down and wrap it up right and and, yeah. it, and it worked in my hand because there was a fear that if it's scarred over then there you know then my my left hand is less useful but the yeah. the thing that my mom has always sort of suspected that feels to be utterly unscientific is that the reason i have bad handwriting is that i should be left-handed but because of the bird i just <laughs> never <laughs> it's so crazy and what's funny is that like that sounds like something a crazy mom would say but my mom doesn't say crazy mom stuff this is like it in a world that is almost entirely rational this is her one crazy mom thing where i'm like why would you think that nothing about that makes sense and she's like i don't i'm not saying it's so but it makes sense to me and i'm like what are we talking about <laughs> I, I bet if you really kind of dug into this a bit your mother believes that more than anything like it's just such a deep <laughs> hardened belief <laughs> sarah before we move on uh, any home remedies that you can either uh, suggest that we try or suggest we not try? Uh, I suggest not putting Vicks VapoRub on your yeah. feet or <laughs> yeah. using that at all. It's kind um, of funny, Sarah, because you said you're supposed to put it on your chest. But as you might recall just a few minutes ago, I said it doesn't do anything on your chest either. So you might as well correct. rub it on your fucking feet. <laughs> <laughs> I've you know I've tried a neti pot and I, now I, I was going to ask uh, about a neti pot. No, absolutely negative. negative. I've I've tried it and uh, the thing about that like I I suspect they don't really work right but uh, the thing about it is that for it to even create the illusion of working one must already have a nasal passage that's open so yes. like by the time I got one and tried to use it water can go. Like water is it? It sounds like a substance that can go through most passages, but if the passage is too stuffed up for air, chances are water is also not going to go through the passage. So I've never success. I've tried an eddy pot a few times. I've never successfully used it because it's never been able to get through my nasal passage. I've used an eddy pot several times, and uh, with sometimes with some measure of success, or at least perceived success. But then I read about the uh, brain worms. That you can get if you don't oh. use the exact right stuff. And then I thought, you know what? Maybe I'll just deal with the stuffed up nose for a few days. Uh, as opposed to getting worms in my brain, Liam and Sarah. Which has sounded very uh, unnerving, I would say. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, I didn't know about the brain worms. Yeah, brain worms. Or maybe, I mean, obviously, I believe a lot of the things I read online. Sarah, any experience with the (laughs) neti pot? Have you neti potted yourself? I have not and will not. There's a product also that they sell on the, I see a lot of commercials, where it's like called Navage. Sure. And it's, uh, yeah, that machine that just, I, I, I don't know how it works, but it looks like it just shoves the water up one side of your nostril and then it comes out the other. And there, everybody has a smile on their face when they're using it. Like, you know, it's like the best thing. And I'm just like, no fucking way. No. Maybe it feels really good, though. Right? <laughs> Sarah, no. here's some of the side effects of Sinex, according to WebMD. Uh, Please, Sinex give it to me. Sinex can create temporary burning, stinging, dryness in the nose, runny nose, and sneezing may occur. Seems like all of these things are the things you're trying to prevent by using Sinex. That would be very unfortunate yes. as a side effect. If any of these effects persist or worsen... Tell your doctor or pharmacist promptly. Uh, if your doctor has prescribed this medication, remember that your doctor has judged that the benefit to you is greater than the risk of side effects. So listen to your doctor. Uh, anyway, you can also have these unlikely but serious side effects. Slow, fast, pound, slow or fast, I should say. Pounding heartbeat, dizziness, nausea, headache, mental slash mood changes, trouble sleeping, shaking, a.k.a. tremors, unusual sweating, and unusual weakness. So Sinex. Um, advertised and supported by the great George Kennedy. Sounds a little scary, actually, Sari. Will you be using Sinex the next time that you have a stuffed-up nose? No. What if I was to tell you that you can get <laughs> a two-pack of Sinex on Amazon right this very moment for a mere $17? Does that change your feelings on the subject? No. If I have a runny nose, I just take two, I call them pinks, which are just, you know, oh Benadryl. Goodness. Oh. I could get a big, like, I know that sounds awful. I could get a big <laughs> bottle of, like, 500 of these things for $4 at my pharmacy, so. Okay, my goodness. does seem like a much better deal. Uh, Liam, uh, understanding that you live in a country where healthcare is some sort of nightmarish scenario, uh, yes. but also understanding that you are a man who sometimes has a, a bit of a stuffed-up nose, any feelings on uh, using Sinex? I just told you, Doug. I don't do that. It's it's. Is I, it a drug? Is that because because you're a straight edge? No, you, because uh, no? I have such a utterly disgusting mucus problem that right. anytime I use any nasal spray at all, I taste it in the back of my throat for six hours. Well, what if I was to tell you that this two pack of Sinex <laughs> that only costs seventeen dollars on Amazon? It says on the front between these two units, five hundred and thirty sprays. So you can spray up your nostril 530 times, Liam. How does that make you feel? Dizzy, nauseous, headache, mental mood changes. Uh, trouble breathing? I always have trouble breathing. Yeah, well, fair enough. <laughs> anyway, Liam, it seems like you're a little annoyed with the whole idea of Sinex. <laughs> this wasn't a targeted ad towards you. It's because it was supported and pitched by the great George Kennedy. Speaking of George Kennedy... He is the star. <laughs> Such an asshole. <laughs> he is the star of 1985's Radioactive Dreams, the feature that we're going to be talking about on today's episode of George Kennedy is My Co-Pilot. Uh, this is a movie that I think, I can't remember if I said on the most recent episode whether I had seen it before or not. If I said I had, I was lying. I had not seen this film previously. And what I discovered... After I had seen it and was looking up on Letterboxd, the uh, social media site for film reviews, that our friends, our mutual friends, a lot of them, they love this movie. This is a movie with a lot of affection for it. Like five stars, four stars, all over the place. This is a beloved film, uh, very much a cult item, and also a film that's not that easy to see. 
So let's take a break and find out what we all thought of it right after this. My name's Philip, and this is going to be a yarn about me and my pal, Marlo, about the day we got out of the shelter and went off into the post-nuclear world, where we both dreamed becoming private eyes, just like the ones we'd read about. You think the world's changed much? Nah. After a nuclear war, Philip Hammer and Marlo Chandler have spent 15 years on their own in a bunker, stuffed with junk from the 40s and old detective novels. Now 19 years old, they leave their shelter to find a world full of mutants, freaks, and cannibals. They become famous detectives in the struggle for the two keys that could fire the last nuclear weapon. It's 1985's Radioactive Dreams, directed by the great Albert Pune, a very well-known director in cult circles, certainly. We're going to talk about his filmography in just a little bit and what we uh, like or dislike about it. Uh, he's unfortunately been uh, suffering from some health issues in the last couple of years and actually went missing fairly recently and uh, as of the time that we're recording this. And we certainly hope for the best and wish him uh, well. Uh, in his uh, his uh, his struggles at the moment. Also written by Albert Pune. Uh, you might know again his career. He has. Uh, I was. We were just before we started recording here. I was saying that his filmography is a bit of a mixed bag. I don't know if that's fair or not. But some notable films in his uh, career include uh, Alien from L.A., uh, the uh, original Captain America film from 1990, uh, Doll Man, the Nemesis films. Uh, the Sword and the Sorcerer, which he made before this film, etc., etc. We'll talk about some of those, I'm sure, in just a little bit. Uh, starring John Stockwell, the great John Stockwell. You probably will recognize him from Christine uh, or the Mystery Science Theater uh, featured film City Limits. But I know him best for the cult film My Science Project from the mid-80s, which I, I say this sometimes on podcasts. But when I was a kid and we'd go to the video store, we'd rent a movie and bring it home. And if my brothers and I liked it, it wasn't like it was categorized any differently than any other movie. So, it, you know, E.T. was the same as Flight of the Navigator, which was the same as Crawl, which was the same as My Science Project. They were all equally good in our eyes, and we just rented them <laughs> again and again. Also starring Michael Dudikoff, uh, and we'll talk about his role in just a little bit. Michelle Little as Rusty Mars, Lisa Blount as Miles Archer, and of course... Don Murray and the great George Kennedy, Don Murray playing Dash Hammer and George Kennedy as Spade Chandler. If all of these names sound familiar, well, I'm sure that uh, there's a very good reason for that. This is a film that sort of is a neo-noir. I mean, it does have a uh, voiceover. It does have all these uh, names that re refer to classic uh, uh, noirish novels um, and and kind of secondary characters as well. We'll talk about whether that's actually uh, an influence that actually comes through in just a little bit. Uh and I just want to mention before we get into it that the Japanese Laserdisc version of this film features an alternate cut 10 minutes longer 
that this version of it focuses uh, more on the two leads, uh, less of them finding their fathers and more in their adventure and finding women uh, with more narration. And uh, it's more of a directly an, an adventure noir film. Uh, this this version of the film is out there. I have not seen it myself. I watched the regular American version of Radioactive Dreams for this. Okay, I've talked enough. I need to hear everyone's thoughts on this film. I'm going to start with you, Sarah, because I get the feeling that maybe you are not a Radioactive Dreams lover. Tell me what you think. Uh, <clears throat> I hated this movie. Oh my goodness! <laughs> this is the second time that I've seen this movie. Sure. Uh, I've seen it, um, I don't know, within the past five years, I guess. Um, but I wanted to rewatch it because, you know, we were doing this show. <laughs> so I wanted to at least have it fresh. So I actually just watched it this afternoon. And, um, yeah, I hated it. I just, now, now, I mean, I need no, a little bit more about, say, <laughs> maybe one or two reasons why you hated it. <laughs> um, can I say I hated everything about it? I mean, you could, uh, but that yeah. seems a little uh, simplistic uh, for yes, a podcast right. about. Let's let's hear something specific. Even <laughs> even if the even if the truth is you hated every single element about it, let's 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 focus in on one or two specific things. Okay. Um, I just, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to pick one. Um, well, let's spin it around. Is there anything that you liked about it? Oh, see, that's why you're, you're a good host. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I try to be funny. Uh, you know, there was, actually there isn't. I, I, oh boy. I don't think it looks good. I don't like the music. I think, mm. and maybe I was watching it in the wrong aspect ratio, but the, like, the framing was all bad. Uh, there was just, it, uh, oh, you know, I found, I, there is something I liked. I liked the sewer monster. Yes, the, the the puppet. I like that effect. I thought, wow, that's awesome and unexpected. Certainly. Even though Very I've unexpected. seen the movie, yeah, I've <laughs> not, forgotten not, about it. Not set up in any way. Appears and then does, <laughs> then appears later again. But it does look very cool. I did like that. So there it is. All right. Okay. So we're we're coming away from this somewhat positive. The in the plus category. The sewer monster, which shows up for maybe a total of three minutes in the entire movie. <laughs> in the negative column, literally every single thing else about radioactive dreams. I just, um, you know, Michael Dudikoff was like super annoying. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I didn't like his character. I, I didn't, I, I don't know. It's be- you like Maybe kid, it's better to move on. The the kid from Better Off Dead, the who's looking for his $5, he's in this movie. Very sweary. Any thoughts on that? Oh, is he one of the He's like one of those the kids, yeah. Italian kids at the beginning? Oh, no wonder why he looked familiar. Or That's one it. of them looked familiar. That's right. Uh, they were funny, but, you know. They said the no. F word a lot. No. That's I did play Where Do I Know Her From mm-hmm. with both, uh, is it Lisa Blunt? And, Lisa Blunt, uh, that's right. And Michelle uh, Little. Little. Yes. And so I had to, Lisa Blunt, I really. Re- Realized that she was from um, Officer Gentleman is where I knew her from. Right. But the other she, chick, she unfortunately passed away. I know. I saw that this afternoon and I was like, mm-hmm. wow, she was really young. And then the other woman, uh, she was in some really bad movie. But anyway. <laughs> oh, my so- God. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think I've already made this clear. But uh, we, uh, yeah, I said it in the opening segment that we have mutuals who 
really do love this movie. So uh, I'm sure they're very upset at hearing your thoughts on that, Sarah. So let us see if Liam agrees or disagrees. Liam O'Donnell, your thoughts on Radioactive Dreams? I fucking love this movie. Hell yeah. <laughs> hey, there, there we go. go. <laughs> uh, I mean, go. I will straight up say, like, I was vaguely familiar with this movie from TV, but I'd never saw it all the way through. Um, right. So when I did finally see it all the way through, it was exciting to me because I'm like, oh, I'm finally going to get to see what the fuck this movie is. Right. And that experience was at, I don't think it was the first, I think it was the second X-Fest right. when it played as the second movie of the day on 35mm. And I will say, seeing a goddamn pristine print of this thing is very different from watching whatever it is. Because if you'll remember, Doug... Um, I've seen this version that we watched for this before because right. a few years ago I begged you to find a copy of it for me because I was so bummed that I hadn't been able to find it since seeing it at X-Fest. Um, and I'd say the version you found me then and the version that we watched for this uh, both don't match at least my memories of that 35mm print. Now, sure. is, it, is it possible that I was so jazzed on X-Fest excitement that uh, I overestimated how the movie looked on the print? Very possible. Very Absolutely. possible. Mm-hmm. But in my memory, each time I've watched this movie since that first viewing, I'm watching a bullshit version. That doesn't look I, – I personally don't think it looks terrible. Sure. But it doesn't live up to my memory at all. However, there's enough other things that I like about the movie. Now, now granted, I think that um, my love for this movie is not the same as some the love I feel for some other movies in that <laughs> I believe this is a deeply you flawed... You love it, but you're not in love with it. <laughs> well, more like I believe this is a deeply flawed film. In fact, sure. there's a very small category of movies, which I would call movies I love that I would not be offended at a remake of. Hmm. For me, a version of Radioactive Dreams where... For example, an insurance company didn't steal the movie from its director before he was finished with it, uh, and one that had a bigger budget, and you know we could see in a version that didn't look like someone had like drawn over parts of the film because there are parts of this movie that just look wrong on the, what we're watching, like the colors are just wrong; they're just not right, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that a, uh, an update of this movie. Now, don't be wrong; this is in a hypothetical world where updates are good. Um, and sometimes, sometimes they are, but, but, you know, there are certain movies when you hear about a remake and the issue is not just that remakes in and of themselves are a bad idea. It, you hear it and go, well, you don't need to remake that movie cause it's fucking perfect. So why would you make a new version of it? This is a movie that I very much enjoy, but I also think, yeah, you could make a version of it that was maybe better in some ways because I think there's some flaws in the movie. I think that uh, there's budgetary limitations. I think that uh, while I do appreciate the fact that Michael Dudikoff does some fucking acting in this movie, um, I also find his performance a little annoying. I much prefer the other uh, gentleman. Though there are, a f- there are a few moments of Dudikoff's performance that I am amused by. It's not all bad. But over time, it gets a little excessive for my taste. Um, Liam, can I interrupt you just for a second? Yeah, please go ahead. Because it's hard to imagine a version of this movie that did not come out in 1985. I mean, it is very, very much of its time, even down to the basic, you know, well, I guess everything old is new again when it comes to nuclear affair. But I mean, you know, it, Mm -hmm. it, it even... I mean, from the soundtrack to the visuals to the the actors in it to the 
the, the characters that are kind of based around uh, kind of new wavy looks, it's a little hard to imagine a remake of this that didn't lose a lot of the flavor of it. I could not disagree more. Um, I think that while I love the soundtrack, um, there are a lot of bands who sound like that now, Doug, and are better than yeah, the bands Yeah, but don't you think this, this would come out looking like, it would feel like like a Ready Player One, like, remember the 80s type no, shit? No, no. Because, <laughs> All right. because <laughs> again, I don't even see how that's a relevant comparison because nothing in Ready Player One actually was anything like the things it was supposedly representing. Well, that's what I mean. It's like they're in the attempt to try to capture... The, the aesthetic of the 1980s, it's going to come as this this exaggerated thing that doesn't resemble it whatsoever. Well, but that's the thing. Why focus on the the details that remind you of the 80s? Like, those are the things you would change to make a new version. This is the problem with remakes, is that we we want the flavor notes. We don't want the, the heart of the matter. And that's what you need to keep is the heart of the matter and but ignore you, the details. But don't you think that, that if you strip away all of those aspects, then all you have is a plot about two people who were in a fallout shelter who uh-huh. come out uh-huh. and have keys that yeah. everyone is after. Yeah. And that is it, because this is a very meandering movie. I mean, the whole... There isn't you just, really a plot but that then comes you just, together. then you just update the gangs. You do better, uh, fucking uh, special effects on the sewer monster. You have I don't one. Think that's possible. But you have you. you have. I was one, like, how dare you? you? You have one fucking moment of dialogue that explains why there's a fucking sewer monster in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I could. I, I mean, not that we should focus too much on this idea that I have, but no, I think there are. Plenty of ways to do an update of this movie that would totally work without sullying the original. Because I think there are aspects of this movie that like aren't great, which doesn't mean... I mean, I think the thing that people like least about this movie is the plot. So the fact that you would only be holding on to that aspect for a remake... Well, no, you're not only. You just update the other... Ad- Again, it's like you have not a creative bone in your fucking body, man. Have you not done this before? Is this a well, new thing Well, tell me a you? remake that is similar to what you're talking about, where it's taking... A, a, you know, maybe another example of what you were just saying. It's like in the, in the canon of films that you like, that you sure. could enjoy a remake of, sure. what's another film on that list? Um. Oh, I was just talking about this the other day, so let me try to remember. Great. Uh, Lord of Illusions. <laughs> okay, Clyde Barker's Lord of Illusions. Yeah, I think Lord of Illusions, and I will say this one works a little bit against me because I think Lord of Illusions works a lot better on paper, whereas your point is, well, Radioactive Genius doesn't work on paper. But to me, I just don't agree with that. <laughs> I think there's I two, think I, there's two oh, parts. You mean, of, you mean you, when you say on paper, you mean when I'm describing the plot as meandering and not the strongest part of the sure. movie. Sure. Right. I And and uh, yeah, the plot, but the character, the, the, first of all, it's the retro aspect of the guys that I like. It's the variety of like post-apocalyptic weirdos who are actually just like lost children. It's the uh, rivalry between these different sort of groups that kind of culminates in this big See, shootout. I'm coming around to your side a little bit now, Liam, because I do think that the most underbaked part of this is the noirish aspect. I don't think they yeah. explain no. that at all. The fact that they have these names based on, you know, Raymond Chandler. Well, and and to be to be fair, to be fair, people do pick it up. Like at that screening, 
I was not someone who knew anything about noir. And after the screening, multiple people were like, well, I really like the references to the different people. And they're like quoting all this stuff to me. And I'm like, okay. Like, I didn't know what the fuck anyone was talking about. I think it's a little underdone. I'm a big fan of a lot of those writers and certainly the films, the film noir films in the 1940s and 50s. But it just feels like, aside from the voiceover and the fact that every woman is duplicitous in this, I don't know if it's necessarily uh, has a strong reference. I need to stop you for a second, Liam, because I really need to ask Sarah about the soundtrack. <laughs> Sarah, you already mentioned that you have some qualms, have a little difficulty with the soundtrack. The soundtrack in this movie is very forward. Uh, you are you could almost call this a musical. In fact, there's one part in the film where basically the movie stops so yes. an entire musical number can play out in front of you. Uh, it sounds to me like you didn't enjoy that aspect. No, no. Uh, the Really, the whole video, the the whole movie looked like it was really meant to be like a like a long form music video. Absolutely, absolutely, it does. And then they just tried to stretch it out to ninety minutes. Sure. Now Um, that to you, that to you, that's a bad thing. um, In this instance, yes, (laughs) yes. I didn't care for the music. It, it was very. You know, I think a lot of people like this movie who might be. you know, I'll say younger than me. And, or, or they feel like it's like a nostalgia thing or like, oh, look at this 80s thing. And it's amazing. And it's like, you know, mm, no. <laughs> no. I did not care for the music. And, um, you know, that woman, I don't know what her name is. Um, I think it probably you're thinking of Sue Saad. Saad, yes. Yes. Uh, yes, that's like the where the movie stops and then she just sings. For, yeah, um, she's giving it three minutes. At one point, yes. <laughs> at one point, because my husband watched some of it with me, and uh, he was just like, "Oh, honey, you know," because she was like, "I mean, I guess she wasn't uh, hitting a wrong note, but it kind of sounded like she was." I don't know. It's That's quite uh, an insult. <laughs> I know, but he said he said it, not me. Um, yeah, I, I didn't love the soundtrack either. Uh, one of the odd things about the podcast that we do together, Liam, is that uh, aside from the ones that you host, I don't actually usually go into details on my thoughts on things. You know what? You know, I'm really asking you or our various uh, co-hosts the questions about it. But I want to make something very clear. I love Radioactive Dreams. <laughs> and I fucking love the soundtrack. And I also, just to speak to your point, Sarah, I, I don't. I'm not. I don't want to speak to all of our ages, but I certainly came of age in the 1980s, uh, as did Liam. Uh, so th- for me, it was not a nostalgic thing, and there was a time period in my life where 1980s music was something that I sh- certainly shied away from. This is a, a a very. I mean, frankly, the entire movie is very new wavy. That's the whole kind of aesthetic. That's the whole thing that it's kind of leaning into. Maybe it's even the thing that I thought when Liam was talking about the remake that that because to me it's such an essential part of it. It's something that would be difficult to port over to uh, a remake though i might be completely wrong on that that there this isn't the kind of soundtrack where any individual songs are going to be like (laughs) that is my favorite song but (laughs) when i finished this movie all i could think about was i want to listen to that soundtrack i want to hear these songs again (laughs) you know distanced from this movie uh that said a lot of the criticisms that you you've had um even though they were not necessarily specific so far Sarah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I, I, 
I feel, as I've already said to you, Liam, I felt like the noirish aspect is a little underbaked in it. It is a very meandering movie for the first hour or so. It's just two characters who are entirely over their head and they just run into things and they're encountering things and they have no understanding of what's going on. It does settle down a little bit in the final half hour or so. Michael Dudikoff, I was amazed at his performance, but he is irritating in this movie. No doubt about it. And also the fact that uh, even though this is a podcast devoted to the wonderful actor George Kennedy, not a lot of George Kennedy. Yeah, no, definitely. Radioactive like trees. Two minutes, maybe. <laughs> well, I, I was concerned. As I said, this was my first time ever watching the movie. I was concerned that the 30 seconds or so of him at the beginning yeah. may, may have ended up being all of the George Kennedy we were to get. Thankfully, that was not the case. Thankfully, spoiler alert, he actually is a lizard person and then... <laughs> Peels off his face at the end to reveal himself and remove his false teeth. Now, I wish there was a little explanation <laughs> for, for uh, I mean, maybe in your uh, proposed remake, Liam, they can explain why after leaving, after leaving this bunker, they decided to put on lizard makeup and command around 15-year-old hitmen. I mean, it just it kind of is a bizarre thing, but there's lots of great bizarre stuff. And I actually love the visual style of this. It definitely is... A music video. And it's definitely meant to look like a very kind of neon-soaked, uh, almost Walter Hill-ish version of that era. Maybe Michael Mann-ish as well, but on a very, very low budget. And I think because of the low budget, that is the affection that, that kind of gets reinforced for me. This is a movie that's obviously trying to do a lot of interesting visual things with almost no money. And and that goes a long way for me. But it, it also, even aside from the stylish part of it, I think there's at least a little bit of substance there, but maybe when I'm thinking substance, I'm really thinking of that giant crazy monster that pops out of that hole, and I, I enjoy it ever so much. Liam, any feelings? Now you're a mu- you're a music guy. You sure. love music. Yeah. Uh, you you formerly fronted a uh, hardcore punk band. Uh, this the music in this is pretty far away from punk. What did you think of the soundtrack? Uh, well, I I mostly like it. I think I'm a little less enthusiastic than you. I want to push back a little bit though, like. The the bop is guilty pleasures, right? That is not a new wave song. That is a uh, uh, a neutered hair metal song. Uh, I would just, agree with that, though. I do think some of the production is very kind of beautiful. sure, 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 sure. Yeah. But but it doesn't have that. Um, most new wave is either like uh, it tends to lean towards like a certain kind of like uh, we're at a party, but we're all a bit melancholy about it. And this is a little <laughs> bit more like, yo, we're at the whiskey and we're fucking rocking and I'm throwing a tequila bottle at your head. Certainly leaning towards the later 80s part. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah gotcha. it's, it's really just the keyboards on it that give it a little bit of that like, oh, I yeah. get it. You've heard some new wave before but like you're opening for you know wasp or whatever i think but, overall <laughs> the soundtrack certainly leans heavy towards i think that's true just but to me some of the soundtrack I, i'm a little less stoked than you because i think some of the soundtrack is a little bit forgettable and sure. guilty pleasures kind of stands out for me because i actually will agree um with uh sarah your husband that some of her notes are wrong and that's why it's so fucking good that's great right let's let's be clear unless unless you're fucking michael jackson your right note is probably annoying anyway give me the wrong fucking notes actually uh that's that's what i'm here for uh but no i i think it's great it's just such it stands out i love it other songs, and, and you know, I'm saying songs. Some of it, like you, you're only hearing snippets, so the there's not like a song that stands out per se. But for a lot of the soundtrack, it's good. I certainly would own it on vinyl and listen to it. But nothing like sticks in my craw the way that fuck like guilty pleasures. We I put that we just did a spring 
playlist for Cinepunks, and I put Guilty Pleasures on there because I was like, fuck yeah. Like, that's it's spring, and I'm feeling some guilty pleasures. Let's do this shit. Uh, I, I just, I, I think that's, I think that's just a lot of fun um, in a lot of ways. But, but I will admit, Guilty Pleasures or other songs on here, they're Hollywood versions of the thing, right? Like, oftentimes the music that ends up in the movie is not the legit form of the music. Like uh, the same thing occurred to me when I was listening to one of my favorite songs from the legend of Billie Jean is that uh, Pat Benatar song that she, that she fucking hates. She, she would, didn't want to play it live or if she did, she'd go, Oh, this is that stupid song I wrote for that stupid movie. And like, uh, okay. Like I get that. I get that, that like often when you're doing something for a movie or if something makes it into the movie, it's the least legit version of that thing. But also I fucking love that song. And it's like, I'm, <laughs> I'm removed enough. It's, it's kind of like, uh, you know, as you insist on it, uh, pointing out, Doug, uh, I'm involved in hardcore punk to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And I have friends who've been in it as long, if not longer than me, who love eighties music, like the most poppy eighties music. Sure. But when we talk to our OGs, people of the generation above us, they're like, I hate that music. That's why I listen to punk rock because I thought that music sucked. But like, okay, that's fine. You were 15 when this music was coming out. I was eight. So to me, this music is gold because it's my childhood. You know what I mean? In the same way that like younger generations, like there's a whole generation of kids in hardcore now who grew up on new metal and think new metal is cool and nostalgic. That feels really weird to me. I don't understand that. But that's because I'm 43 and they're not, (laughs) you know? So there you go. I mean, there, yeah, there has been some nostalgia for new metal recently. You're exactly right. And maybe there is an element of that. Maybe there's an affection, mostly because I think when you're in the midst of things, particularly when you are a teenager, it feels like a lot of mainstream music is a threat to the music that you like to a certain extent, right? Maybe it's going to snuff it out. But now we know that, I mean, you, you'll, always, you'll always find good hardcore punk music. You'll always find good, I mean, like you said, there's still people making music that sounds like this music. Even now, you just need to dig a little deeper. And of course, our access to it is so much so much wider than it was before. Sarah, you hated all the actors in Radioactive Dreams. <laughs> I don't hate John Stockwell. I mean, tell, I, tell me about your love for John Stockwell. Well, I mean, I don't know if I have love of it. But, uh, <laughs> like, I remembered he was in that uh, early Tom Cruise film, Losing It. That's I was right. I oh, recall yeah. that today. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, it kind of looked like he had uh, some clothes from that uh, from that movie. Bobby. My husband brought up another. Uh, you should have him on the podcast. Really. <laughs> I mean, at this point, um, he pointed out how did they have clothes from the forties when? I mean, how long were they down there with George Kennedy and Don Murray's? You know, were, I'm assuming they were their suits. But didn't they have any more modern clothes? How long were they down there that they it's would a have little, such I mean, older suits? It is one of the things about this movie that so little is explained. Even in the right. plot description that I said about about like these two kids who are being introduced to the literate like the pulp novels of the nineteen forties, we get one scene at the very end of George Kennedy briefly trying to read to one of them, and that is what we're supposed to take from it. I do think that they find those clothes later in the movie, right before they're kind of they glow up. But you, and and maybe the suggestion is that this is a bunker that was created in the nineteen forties or nineteen fifties, 
that they just got into because it didn't seem like it belonged to them necessarily. And then they ended up there for 15 years, which is what I think it says that they were in the, the bunker for 15 years. And that's why it ended up that way. But definitely you have to do a, a, a little bit of mental gymnastics to make that make sense. But then again, if you're really trying to make it all make sense, there's probably a few loose ends here. Right. Um, like the giant creature in the in the hole. <laughs> My favorite thing? Yeah, a little not not explained necessarily. But John he Stockton, a, uh, not John Stockton, sorry. He was a John great Stockton. player. Right. He was a great basketball player. Uh, my <laughs> right. understanding, kind of an asshole. Uh, I don't know about yeah. any of the uh, feelings uh, that people have on John Stockwell. Though John Stockwell, after he finished his acting career, actually, while he was doing his acting career, he became a, uh, a, a director. He uh, directed, and actually a, a well-known writer as well, he wrote the Mark Wahlberg vehicle Rockstar. Remember that film? As well yes. as he directed the film Blue Crush. And he directed Into the Blue and Turistas. I mean, a very uh, uh, now he oh, now he makes movies like that are a little bit. Yeah, you know what? He directed Kickboxer Vengeance from 2016, which is kind of interesting because uh, Kickboxer two and four were directed by Albert Pune. Hey, kind of an interesting connection when you really think about it. But tell me more about John Stockwell. <laughs> well, I, I think you just said the rest of his career. I also yeah. remember I remember him from Top Gun. Yes, I mean, he's in Top Gun briefly. As, as Bill Cougar Cortell. Um, Liam, you don't need to talk about John Stockwell. I don't know if you have any feelings about him. But do any of the performances in this film, not counting George Kennedy, stand out to you? Well, I mean, I do like John Stockwell in this, though. I, again, it's hard because... The person who I feel like is putting in more work is Michael Dudikoff. But, Dude is on something. In this but, that, <laughs> but that work is just making Stockwell look good. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Stockwell yeah. isn't doing a lot, but in not doing a lot, he looks pretty good compared to Dudikoff just running around being like, bah, 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 bah. it's just like a little It's still, it's so bizarre to me to thinking of Michael Dudikoff, the guy who, who like, I, I, I probably watched 10, 15 Michael Dudikoff movies growing up and he never even like, makes a different no, expression in any no. of them. And in this one, he's <laughs> running around like Jim Carrey. It is really bizarre to see. Is his voice that high-pitched? or was that That's another thing, right? No. I mean, and I don't remember the American Ninja having a high-pitched voice. Not at all. <laughs> um, I actually really like the kids, the cursing kids. I think that's fun. Um, I liked the cannibal... Uh, doctor guy, uh, I, I I liked his. He was so weird and creepy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciated that a lot. Um, I actually, even though she's not doing a ton, but I kind of like the stoicism of. Uh, is it Lisa Blunt? Blount. Yeah, Blount, Blount who played Miles Blount. Archer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's also in uh, Dead and Buried, I think. Yes, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, I like her as Miles Archer, and I and I liked uh, in the other uh, young woman is Michelle Little. Is that correct? Well, you know, you can just look in our notes, which have the actors <laughs> listed in sorry, them. Yes, sorry. Michelle Little, that's yeah, absolutely yeah, correct. Yeah. Um, I, I liked her, too. And I, and I think that role is kind of the, the one who's like, you know, I was going to eat you, but I don't know. There's just something about you. <laughs> I, I think that that is meant to be ridiculous, and therefore I kind of liked it at the way that it sort of played out. Um Outside of that, you know, it's, it's fine. There wasn't a lot. I mean, there's not a lot of people – who get much there's a lot of people in this movie whose role is to look funny and not say much you Certainly, know what i'm absolutely. saying um but but 
to that extent, I loved it. I loved the costumes and and the different weird sort of folks that we see. That there's a whole uh, place that of of new wave pugs is like so dumb and ridiculous. There's sort of like a warriors aspect to it. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, that might be it. Some might think that that's a really unfair comparison on both ends. But you know, just the idea that it 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 creates this reality where people can have these very specific looks that are yeah. That makes well, sense only it, or, in the context or, of that reality. Or you could say it's uh, Mad Max adjacent. You know, it's yeah, not the same. Absolutely. But the idea that, like, okay, in the, in the post-apocalyptic world, we form these different communities. And then the idea, like, that a lot of the people we see are young because, it, yeah. for whatever reason, the children survived. And so they're really doing a pantomime of what – like, I, I legitimately, when I was thinking about this, I was like – saying that I was doing this thing that you were doing to me earlier, which is like, okay, if we were going to do a remake, like what would be the holdup? And part of the holdup for me, Doug, would be nostalgia. Like um, if you had people dressing in the future, like how young people dress now, would a character go, why is everyone dressing like the 90s? Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Which no one would remember what the 90s are, but like – that's what kids wear now. Like you, if if I go to a local mall, everyone is either wearing athleisure or dressed like a someone from the nineties, and that's like yeah. Oh, I, I mean, you're. I wish that was a joke, Doug, but it is not. Most, I mean, like sh- straight up, it's to the point where like if you're wearing pants that fit, you're obviously lame. And I'm like, but I like pants. Well, I used to like pants that fit pre-pandemic now i love me some bag and nine clothes (laughs) sarah you told me uh during the break that recently you and your husband have been going through the filmography of albert pune which uh at the time i was like okay that makes sense to me but now knowing that you despise the second (laughs) film you ever made that seems like more of a confusing thing to do can you tell me a little bit about your attempts to watch every albert pune film um well, I think we started it about a year ago. It was sure. my husband's idea. And so I'm like, yeah, I'll do that. Because we have a whole bunch of letterbox challenges. Sure. Like we have one to watch all the Criterion movies in order, which, I mean, that's like a, a mammoth. Yeah. Never ending. I mean, I get class. it. We all, I think a lot yeah. of us have projects like that where if you think about it too long, you realize you're going to die before they come to fruition. But it doesn't mean you can't <laughs> try, right? Right. Exactly. Keep going. We we have one uh, where we're watching all of the um, movies from. Oh God, I forgot what it's called. Well, I'm just gonna wait until you well, remember. No, no, <laughs> I'll just skip over that. I can't. A bleeding skull. There we go. Sorry. Oh wow. Sorry, Joseph Ziemba. Uh, mm. Yes, we're watching the Bleeding Skull books, and we're pretty like maybe I think eighty movies in. But again, that we've been going on that for at least five, six years. We're sure, doing all right, the Elvis right. movies in order. We're almost oh done there. Yeah, <laughs> so we make all these stupid challenges, and then you know, it's just then it becomes work. But I <laughs> signed on to the Albert Pune project, and I did kind of uh, was kind of sorry that I did because basically we've watched ten movies now, and out sure. of ten. I think I've given most of them like one star. Holy hell. Or maybe two stars. But there were a couple that I gave three stars. And so, okay. you know, I did give, there were two of them that I actually enjoyed. Well, and, well tell us, tell us which ones of the <laughs> 10 that you've seen that you most I, enjoyed. I did like Dangerously Close. Okay. That has also the has film jumped. he made right after Radioactive Dreams. 
quite a quite an improvement, I guess. Oh, I, well, I guess we have these in uh, not in the correct. Yes, it, it is the the second one or the, the third, movie, third one. I, yes, at least sorry. according to the list I have here, it's it's, it's the same one that I have. Yes, and so it does have John Stockwell, and um, I gave it three stars, and uh, I did like that one a lot. And I thought I thought that one looked good, also. Like it, it looked really accomplished. It did. I kind of like Down Twisted, which also has the star uh, Carrie Lowell, who was mm-hmm. also in the uh, Dangerously Close. And I actually liked um, his Captain America. I thought it was actually. Uh, I gave it three stars. So, mm-hmm. um, I... did I like Cyborg? I, I think I didn't hate Cyborg. But I don't have a rating on here for some reason. So am I, I don't wrong? Know. Am I wrong that I remember that the son of J.D. Salinger starred as Captain America in that Captain America film? Um, you would be. Uh, it is. Is that his son? Well, yeah, he looks just like him. Matt Salinger. So, there we go. Yeah, the son. Yep. <laughs> From Revenge yes. of the Nerds. I see uh, that so, too. <laughs> so you well, there's still many Albert Pune films that you have yet to watch. But this is the future for you. For the remainder of the next 10 years or so, you'll be watching Albert Pune films. Correct. But you would not call yourself a fan of the director. Um, you know, I, I would say I want to be. You know, he followed me on Facebook, like, within the past few months. And I was right. just like, wow, Albert Pune followed me. That's awesome. And then I thought, wow, I hope he doesn't, like, go back and look at my <laughs> <laughs> because I mean, you know, no offense to the man, just you know, there's some things like Alien in L.A. or is it Alien from L.A.? Alien Kathy, from L.A. That's right. Yeah, Kathy, Kathy Ireland. Ireland. Like that was like the worst. Like probably the worst of the Albert Pugh movies. I did it, not. It, he is kind of notorious in his inconsistency. Uh, there are movies. I think there are a lot of movies. If I look at his filmography, that I like quite a bit, but his worst are certainly. Quite bad. Um, and, uh, you know, even that dichotomy is even stronger than it is in some other directors of his ilk. Liam, turning to you, would you consider yourself an Albert Pune fan? Despite my deep affection for this movie, I would say no. Mm-hmm. But I don't mean that as a criticism of him necessarily, but an admission of how few of his movies I've seen. So... Uh, this is this movie, Radioactive Dreams, is right now undoubtedly my favorite of his movies. Right. But that's because I've only seen, besides this one, Cyborg, Dollman, Nemesis. Right. That's it. Oh, and, <laughs> and, and Kickboxer Kickboxer 2, right. which, ugh, ugh, ugh. Not a fan. I, I No, I hate it. Uh, I've, I've never... Oh, you know what, though? I might have seen his first movie. Like, I was looking at it. The Sword and the Sorcerer? Yeah. I had... So this is a weird uh, distraction, but... Please. I had a weird comic book (laughs) version of the movie. Ah. So so whenever I see trailers for the movie, I can never remember if what I'm remembering is the comic book version or the movie itself. So My brothers had a... uh, And I had a comic book version of Krull, which I believe I must have read... A dozen times before I ever saw the movie. So it was very weird to then watch the movie afterwards. <laughs> Actually, there's one of his later films that I also saw that is truly torturous. And I'm trying to remember which one it was. Well, while you're trying to think of that, let me recommend 1997's Mean Guns with Ice-T and Christopher Lambert. 
I like that movie quite a bit. I think it's actually quite a good action movie. And I also... That was helpful because the one I was going to say was the one right before that, Crazy Six, which I actually do not like very much at all. But yeah, I've never, it, but I've never seen Mean Guns. Yeah, that one has Ice T in it as well, but as well as Burt Reynolds, Liam, Burt Reynolds and Albert Pune. Well, that's why I remember it is the Ice T Burt Reynolds movie that sucks. But now, again, I saw it a long time ago. Like I saw it when it was on DVD, like in the video store. It was still a relevant movie. Now I'm just going to throw out one more Albert Pune movie, one that I have not seen for a very long time, but I did enjoy very much when I saw it. It's 1993's Brain Smasher. A love story starring Andrew Dice Clay and Terry Hatcher. Uh, I I remember just kind of uh, picking that up solely based on its title and thought it was hilarious at the time. I have heard people, friends of mine, people with reasonable taste, say that it is quite good in the years since. But it is not a movie that I hear discussed very much, Liam. uh, Have you ever checked out uh, Brain Smasher A Love Story? I never have, but I am looking at this list and realizing I think I own Alien from L.A. and just haven't watched it yet. I mean, it's Oof. it's pretty commonly available. Um, I think they released. I think there's a yeah. I, I, for a lot of people, at least of my ilk, uh, Alien from L.A. was one of the more recent movies that were ever covered on Mystery Science Theater when I was when when it was still on the air. So it was one that kind of got a lot of attention for that. And again, I I also mentioned the other one that was like that was City Limits, which features uh John Stockwell from this film. Uh when we talk about some of these movies, Sarah, does it make you excited for the next ten years of your journey into the career of Albert Pune? <laughs> There's some good uh, ones ahead. We we've named some of them. Right. Yeah, I Look, I love movies, and so I'll watch anything. Hell yeah. And I Look. really like some really bad movies. So I'm hopeful that I will uh, find things to uh, watch and enjoy. Well, I've got some good news for you, Sarah. Because you enjoy horrible things, uh, we have a podcast about George Kennedy. So you're going to experience quite a few <laughs> of them. <laughs> We're not, of course, mocking George Kennedy at all. We Everyone's got to pay the bills. Speaking of paying the bills, the ending of this movie is quite bizarre. I've already referred to it a little bit. We have our two leads. They discover that they have these keys, and the keys are able to, uh, I guess, send a nuclear weapon, and uh, they're worried about them getting into the wrong hands. They decide to set up a trap, which immediately goes wrong, um, and uh, we are they, they're in a, in a big kind of warehouse... And they encounter these two lizard monsters that we have seen throughout the film briefly. These lizard monsters, once they see who the two leads are, they recognize, hey, it's not their sons. It's the people that they kept safe in the shelter years before. And then they peel off their lizard masks to uh, reveal that they are uh, Don Murray and George Kennedy, uh, two well-known beloved actors. Uh, Though I have to say, Don Murray, when I see him, I think of him from... Twin Peaks, The Return, uh, where he's actually quite hilarious in that. And, of course, George Kennedy. Uh, and then a gunfight happens. <laughs> and uh, people die. And there are leads. They get the keys back. And everything is great. But they don't destroy the keys because it might be useful to have a nuke in the future. Uh, sticking with you for a second, Liam, what do you think about the ending of this movie? It is, it, it, it is a little strange. It's very strange, I would say, Liam. Um, well, I mean, it is and it isn't, right? I knew that the... Okay, it's more that it is than it isn't, I would have to say. I would say it isn't in that you knew the dudes were going to show up, right? Yes. I I feel like if you didn't know the dudes were going to show up, I feel like you weren't paying attention. I've seen a movie before, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Them wearing... I don't know. I 
personally, the I think one of the things you seem hung up on is the makeup thing. Nothing about that surprised me or seemed weird at all. That seemed, really, if I was in the room, I'd be like, yeah, that makes sense. You know. I mean, okay, because it gives them an air of mystery. You know, they are now. Is it weird in the sense of the whole time you're watching it going? Clearly, there's a scene that was cut that talks about who the fuck these dudes are. Yes, <laughs> like that part. But that's not that's not the ending's fault. That's just a reality of the movie. That there's a couple of scenes missing from this movie to explain a couple things. And and I and some people might love that. Actually, they might like the the idea that things aren't explained. But I don't know that the movie wants to be that way. I don't get the feeling that the movie wants to be like like. Buckaroo Banzai, where you just throw shit at the screen and don't explain it. That's at all. an interesting comparison, by the way. Well, yeah, I, that, there is a Buckaroo Banzai kind of tone to this, right? But I think it's uh, my va- my feeling, which who knows? We haven't discussed this with Albert Pune, so we don't really know. But my vibe is that it's not in- like Buckaroo Banzai is intentional. Let's just say some shit. And never say what the fuck it is, and that's going to be great. <laughs> and I think in this, I don't think it's as intentional. I think it works at certain points, but the places where it's soft, I think, I bet you they kind of actually wanted to talk a little a little bit more about this. That's how I feel about the alien, them being lizard men thing, is that, like, it's a persona they've taken on to scare the shit out of people, but, like... You know, then when they reveal it, because because if you notice, George Kennedy, who's the more affable of the two, is sure. the one who actually is like, oh, let me rip this shit off my face. And the other guy's like, oh, God. All right. Fine. Like, but he's the, like the, not the, stoked the, on it the two all. The two children that they're ordering around, the foul-mouthed children, they yeah. don't seem surprised to discover that these lizard men are actually just older gentlemen. Sure. And if that's the case, why do they keep the makeup on when they're talking to them? <laughs> Well, I don't think it's <laughs> explain it to me. This is probably explained in the Japanese version of this film. Yeah, game, that's but the true. only problem is reading about the Japanese version. It does not have the sewer monster, so yeah. I'm not going to watch that. No, I don't want to watch no. the version of this yeah, movie. Yeah, I agree. Sarah I agree. doesn't want to watch that version. It's the yeah, only thing she liked yeah. about it. <laughs> um, the the weird part about the ending to me, but it kind of works for the other weird parts about the the movie, is how they just never explained. Like all the guy wants to know is. Why did you have us in the in the fucking bomb shelter? Like, because what we're shown right is that there's two guys in a bomb shelter who have access to a nuclear weapon, and they're just like hanging out, and yeah. then there just happen to be babies outside. Where, like, where is this bomb shelter that the babies are just? Hey, like, I'm with you. It chilling. doesn't make any sense at all. And also, there's a part where it's just like uh, these kids are kind of slow. Uh, you know what? The, the hell with this. So they just leave. So was it okay to leave the bomb shelter? I guess it was. Well, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I uh, my feeling on on that right is that uh, when they left, I just was like, yeah, they don't give a fuck. You know, they're just like, yo, there's food here. You'll figure it out. Don't worry about it. You know, um, that I found that less frustrating than just the the. Like, it wasn't frustrating per se, but I did think that the whole ridiculous thing of, just move on, man. It doesn't matter. I'm like... (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I love that. (laughs) The thing thing about that for me is I was like, that both works and doesn't work. Like, I agree. They do need to move on, but just a brief, like, yeah, we just just found you outside and threw you in the bomb shelter. Whatever. I just love it's like the only, like, heart-to-heart that they ever have with these people to explain anything. It's like, best not to think about it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> move on <laughs> well i mean and and the, the whole 
Yeah, the whole thing is like when they leave, it's because the the Dudikoff character is already becoming annoying. Basically, like that's like part <laughs> of why they leave. Sarah, <clears throat> yes. The ending of this film, um, I imagine, if the rest of it was not to your taste, that the ending was even more so, <laughs> not yes. to your taste. Uh, any thoughts on uh, on the ending or what uh, Liam had to say about it? Um, n- not really. It's best not, not really? to think about it. But I will say, I will say, talking about it, um, there was a point when he was, when um, one of them, was it John Stockwell, was, I mean, they're, all they want to do is get laid, basically. Yeah, for a while like. there, that seems to be their main focus. Right. And all the women are awful. Like, every yes. single woman that they try to hook up with is just, you know, tricks them. But I wondered when he, because he said, "Oh, this could be my first time," and I thought, "Did these guys like kiss each other because they were sure. curious about what was happening?" So that's Absolutely. where my mind went. Like yeah. my mind wandered a lot during this movie because you know. Yeah. So you were thinking that they were probably jerking each other off. <laughs> maybe <they> were... <laughs> that would have maybe been more interesting for me. But I did think they've been down there this whole time. You know, they had, I guess. I mean, radio was working, so, you know, I don't know if they're listening to music, but, I mean, the ra- they were listening to radio, so someone was broadcasting. So, you know, I, I just wonder what they got up to down there. That's all. There's a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, sure. Certainly about whether they were jerking each other off. That's an important one. But, I mean, lots of other <laughs> For questions. For me, it is. <laughs> lots of other questions <laughs> as well. But I kind of... I, one of the things that I have affection for in this movie is how uninterested it is in answering those questions. Though maybe, as we've also alluded to, maybe that there was more to that, a little more, bit more spelling uh, out of things that got uh, left on the cutting room floor, or at least just put in the Japanese version instead. Uh, Sarah, uh, Liam, we need to talk about George Kennedy as Spade Chandler, one of the father figures, I guess you would say, of these two gentlemen at the core of this movie. Uh, aside from searching to get laid they spend the entire plot trying to find these father figures i say father figures because i don't know who they are or why they had access to these children it's never really clearly explained and i apologize listeners if it was and i just missed it at some point george kennedy shows up at the very beginning in some silent black and white footage and then he shows up at the very end and as liam you said he kind of jovial very happy to see these two young men as he rips off his lizard man makeup (laughs) (laughs) sticking with you sarah yeah. What did you think of George Kennedy in 1985's Radioactive Dreams? Um, I wish he was in it more. Yeah, I well, say, I mean. You know, <laughs> I do. I did think they were the father, like Don Murray was the father of one. Yeah, that he, I guess. Re- that he rescued. I don't know which one is which at this point. Um, you know, and then uh, Kennedy was the father of the other. That's what I thought. So their but... father, the, so they are their fathers. I was a little unclear, especially because the footage at the beginning of the kind of nuclear explosion, you only see one child, which is even more confusing. But well, anyway, I think I, I said to my to um, his name's Eric. I said to Eric, "Wait a minute! I thought there was, you know, how are there two? Yeah. But I think." Maybe they were both shown, but they both had the same kind of hair. Oh, okay. And so, I mean, I could be wrong. And I could be wrong about them actually being their fathers. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's what I... That's the thought that I was operating on during the I mean, movie. I think father figures or fathers, at the very least... Sure. They're, you know, it, it doesn't, I guess, really matter. But when George Kennedy tears off his makeup, then he pulls out that big gun and starts shooting it. How do you feel about that? 
best, well, next to the to the serpent, best part of the movie for me. <laughs> I'm all about the George Kennedy. That's why I'm here. That's why you're here. That's why I have saddled you on our third episode with a movie that features literally five minutes of George Kennedy. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do better next time. Liam. George Kennedy as Spade Chandler, Sam Spade, Raymond Chandler, probably is how his name. Why does he have a name based on 40s detective novels? That doesn't make any sense. Anyway, tell me, what did you think of his performance in this movie? I mean, it was pretty good. I, he's not really given He's not really given much to do. Uh, he gets to rip off his lizard makeup. Actually, we, we it's not actually him ripping off the lizard makeup. It just cuts to him after it's almost all gone. Yeah, it's I, that. I mean, that's great. I, even the scene with the gun, though, it's like a lot of slow motion stuff. Like he, he just doesn't do a whole lot in the movie. So I don't feel like you know uh, the last movie we covered. It was a lot of George Kennedy. It sure was. So it's hard to transition to this where he's just sort of like there because we need someone in the movie that we recognize. I guess it's like he, he's sort of a touchstone that way. And he's so just this kind is, of there's more there's time. more George Kennedy in this than Brain Dead. But less right. than every other movie yeah. that we're likely to cover. Ever. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's it's he's fine. He's certainly not bad, and he, he's more memorable than the uh, than his partner in yeah. it. Like the that dude just kind of like is just there. He's just physically there, uh, and so yeah, it's 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 memorable, but it's certainly not enough uh, to be like oh, and then he really got at something in this. It was just sort of like, yeah, I'm George Kennedy. Good to see you, kid. Like, that's it. Like, he literally could have said, hi, I'm George Kennedy in the movie. And that would have been been great because I would have, would have liked to have a little bit more of his voice since it's (laughs) such an essential part of him as an actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 It's funny. I guess when the lizard creatures are talking earlier in the movie, I guess that's, that's part of the performance as well. But that voice has such a filter on it that I don't know if it was actually George Kennedy speaking or not. That's true. I have no sense of that. Um, and even then, that's still not that much more screen time. <laughs> not, not a whole lot more screen time. Uh, I mean, it's a lot of fun seeing George Kennedy in this very strange movie. Uh, and, you know, when he does peel off that makeup, he does ha- give a very happy expression to see these two young men. Uh, there isn't much more to the performance aside from him. Uh, what kind of gun would you call that, Liam? I don't know much about guns. The guns that he shoots in this, they're like those ones that Arnold Schwarzenegger has in Terminator 2 that shoot the uh, tear gas. You know, it, it, Yeah, it, they're they're grenade launchers. Yeah, like grenade launchers. Very cool gun, and it, it's pretty fun. Uh, uh, that's the one that they're shooting at Darkman and Darkman as well. That's right. That's right. It's the Darkman gun. Very good, Liam. <laughs> the first time I, I feel like that was the first time I saw it was when the guy's shooting at Darkman from the helicopter with it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Very cool grenade launcher. We get to see George Kennedy dump all the the empty shells, I guess, out of it. I that I did find that pretty good. But that's about as much as you can say about the George Kennedy performance in Radioactive Dreams. Sarah, any final thoughts on 1985's Radioactive Dreams? Um, I'm no. Do you have anything to say <laughs> to people who like as we, we we've alluded to several times before? There are friends of ours, people you know, mutuals. On Letterboxd, who gave this movie five stars, four and a half stars. Do you have anything to say to them? You know, they're probably right. And mm. I'm wrong. Oof. I don't, you know, I, I don't want to diminish their love for this movie. It just wasn't for me. Right. You know, I just didn't enjoy it. But that doesn't mean that they're wrong 
for loving it. It just means that I don't like it. Yeah, actually, yeah. It, it's amusing to think that we're on a run so far. Uh, I think I said there was three episodes, but this is their fourth episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot. I don't think you've enjoyed any of the movies that we've watched so far. Oh, I liked the, the last one. <laughs> the Human Factor? Yeah. Yeah. But I've, that was probably all because of that doll whose name escapes me. Shackadoo? <laughs> Shackadoo! <laughs> well, it's it's onward and upward with when it comes to George Kennedy as my co-pilot. Liam, any final thoughts on Radioactive Dreams? Uh, I love it. I want to do a shirt for it. I don't think I can talk Justin into doing it, but I wish we would do. I would love a radioactive dream. Really? Isn't this exactly the sort of shit that no one cares about that he loves to make shirts? Yeah, I, I don't. I I don't think wow. he likes. I don't think he likes the movie as much as I do. So I don't, I don't think it's coming. Uh, if you want to find out more about the career of Albert Pune, uh, I can't recommend enough Justin DeClue's book, Radioactive Dreams: The Cinema of Albert Pune. You can find that. Um, well, try to find it on a book dealer that isn't Amazon, but at the very least, it's on Amazon if you want to pick it up uh, for around twenty dollars or so. Uh, very much worth your time. On the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot. I've decided to give everyone a break. <laughs> By which I mean we are going to watch a movie that has more George Kennedy in it. In fact, for people of a certain age, this might be the movie that they most connect with George Kennedy. That is 1988's The Naked Gun from the Files of Police Squad. Uh, the first of the three Naked Gun films uh, starring, of course, the great Canadian, Leslie Nielsen, uh, as Frank <laughs> Drebin, based on the TV series, which did not feature George Kennedy, unfortunately. But yes, on the next episode, The Naked Gun. Liam, are you familiar with The Naked Gun? Yeah, I'm familiar. Uh, That's an interesting. I was kind of expecting a little more enthusiasm. I figured that people of our age group are intimately familiar with this movie. No, I... Uh... We'll we'll discuss this more in the episode. Oh but no! These, mo- these movies m- missed me almost entirely. Interesting. Well, let me let me tell you something that you might surprise you, Liam. O.J. Simpson, one of the stars of The Naked Gun, so we'll have sure. a yeah, and and so uh, Ricardo Montalban and also Queen Elizabeth. So we'll uh, we'll be checking that out on the next episode of the podcast. Uh, how about yourself, Sarah? Any uh, any life experience with The Naked Gun? Um, I did watch uh, the Police Squad TV show and enjoyed yes. it very much. I can say that I have never seen a Naked Gun movie. This is unbelievable what's happening right now. This is <laughs> fucking crazy to me. That is, I cannot you know, believe what I'm hearing right when now. When this movie came out, I was a teen, but I was like a snobby teen. Sure. You know when you first get into film Absolutely. and you're like, I will never watch, I'm a, you know... A Sinaist, and I don't want to watch this crap. So I was kind of wow. like that. And so I, I was like, I don't want to watch this. Even though I liked the TV show, but I just didn't this, I didn't this want is, to watch it. And then uh, as I've gotten older, it was never like, oh, Naked Gun is on Plex. Let me click that button. You know, I've got other things to watch. So. Un- so unbelievable. You know. I, I will say I've seen all these movies. They just weren't a source of obsession for me the way i think they are for a lot of people our age yeah so airplane like, <laughs> top secret the naked gun i mean that's those see, are the movies I see for, for, for for me i was i was more of a top secret guy i definitely watched top secret, oh, I love yeah, top secret. but if you see? see top secret aren't you then going to watch the naked gun no what's no. happening here what because top because airplane and uh top secret were better I mean, you know, well, I can't see You've never better. seen this, yes, Sarah. you're right, you're right. I am very upset were... at what I'm hearing right now. I mean, I'm not even Look, disagreeing. Doug, I was watching, I was watching yeah. uh, Hot Shots or whatever that 
I think Shitty Hot Shots baseball I mean, look, movie was. See, oh, the, yeah. Major League is the baseball movie. Hot oh, Shots right. is not a Liam. This is. I'm so angry right now. This is really. See, something. Here's the thing. Here's the thing, Doug. <laughs> I didn't really. I didn't really rewatch comedies the way that you're thinking I would for a long time. Like when I went to the video store, I got horror movies. Like yeah, com- but comedies don't you like to were laugh? one don't and you, done. Don't you, don't you? I mean, you watch horror comedies, right? I'm sure you've seen The Evil Dead too. I'm sure you've seen Brain Dead. I think we've even referred to it on this very show. I mean, we've talked about them, but yeah, I mean, I rewatch Evil Dead too. I think I've seen Evil Dead two more than any comedy until college, when I and my friends became obsessed with Zoolander, which I've seen 400 times. Okay, um, okay. look, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna bring this down for a second. <laughs> On the next episode, this is unbelievable. Zoolander's I thought I was great. giving you. Are you disrespecting I, Zoolander right now? No, not at all. I don't care about Zoolander. I care about the naked. What? Guy. I cannot believe. You know, Terrence I, Malick said Zoolander was his favorite comedy. Did yes. you know that? <laughs> that that's, that's fine. Um, <laughs> he really wants to work with Ben Stiller, but he can't figure it out. <laughs> Maybe I wonder if he loved the sequel. On, I picked this movie because I thought it was just going to be this easy treat for the both of you. But it, this has turned into some really kind of twisted funhouse mirror that is making me very depressed. <laughs> I'm probably going to love it. I'm not saying I'm not going to like it. Maybe you won't, but that's, that's, I didn't even think it was, it didn't even enter my brain that you both didn't already love this movie. (laughs) I guess we'll find out on the next episode of George Kennedy is my co-pilot, 1988's The Naked Gun. By the way, eventually we're going to get to the sequels, which will uh, then allow us to watch the uh, WWF wrestling event, which featured... Uh, Leslie Nielsen and George Kennedy in character from their Naked Gun things wandering around looking for The Undertaker so we'll, we'll look at that <laughs> in a few episodes time Sarah I'm very disappointed in you but please <laughs> uh, where can people no it's perfectly fine where can people find your work online and otherwise I'm not sure they want to anymore <laughs> Um, well, you can find me, you can find me on Twitter at AdFlickThis, uh, you can find my reviews or some of my reviews of the Austin Chronicle, uh, Daily Grindhouse, um, Looper, where else, F This Movie, um, and I always forget to mention this every time, my husband and I have a YouTube channel Mm. called The White Saves of Chinatown. Where we have, uh, my husband calls it paracinema from all over the world, where it's rare and out of print um, properties that you just can't find anywhere else. I mean, they're not, uh, like I said, they're out of print. You can't, they're not streaming. Absolutely. They're really hard to find. And Mm -hmm. so, like, we just put up, like, a Leif Garrett television show from the 70s. I I was checking that out yesterday. Did you? I love the ephemera. I love the... (laughs) I mean, to me, when someone says that there is no way to see this and here it is, I'm like, okay, I got to drop everything and watch it right now. <laughs> I mean, and there's, I mean, there's some weird shit that's on there. I mean, like I said, it's TV movies from all over the world. Some, you know, like two pissed, two pissed, two fisted mm-hmm. Tuesdays. You know, where we have action movies from absolutely all over. Uh, we do Russian fairy tales. I mean, just you name it. All sorts of stuff. I I will. I think I've been linking it in the show notes, but definitely please check it out, uh, listeners. Liam O'Donnell. Speaking of weird shit, what have you been up to lately? <laughs> Not a whole lot, man. Not a whole lot. <laughs> Just chilling, bud. Just chilling. <laughs> 
No, please continue. You need to start that's doing really your all plugs. I, that's really all I got. Uh, no, I mean, uh, uh, I don't know. Nothing in particular. Uh, we do you have a website that you run. I'm about to get there, Doug. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm going to start over so you can cut all this. Sure, 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 sure. <laughs> well, Doug, the only real new thing I want to point out to people is that we have a new show that just joined uh, the network, a uh, little show called The Carnage Report. Uh, it's basically a horror podcast that is more focused on new horror and news in horror. So a big chunk of every episode is talking about like uh, upcoming releases, uh, different film fests coming up, uh, trailers, whatever news that they sort of are uh, interested in. And then they're always covering a relatively new movie. Uh, I don't know that every single one will be like what's in theaters right now, but it will be, you know, for the most part, pretty recent to the episode. Uh, And I like that. I think, uh, you know, I get why my horror show and why a lot of horror shows are focused on the past. I think that there's value to that, but I like that Carnage Report is seeking to be in in the present and talking about what's going on right now. So uh, check it out. Carnage Report, uh, by the time you're hearing this, they should have their third episode up, uh, and and so far it's been really good. Uh, if they want to check that out, as well as you know, check out episodes of this show, uh, a whole family of shows uh, that are part of the Cinepunks family. You can head over to Cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X dot com. Uh, we also have merch there, writing. Um, I have a f- couple of columns over there. We got some new pieces. Uh, and of course, if they just want to, if listeners, y'all just want to jump into our archive for Cinema Smorgasbord, you can head to cinemasmorgasbord.com. That's where we have uh, all the old episodes of this show that include, you know, of course, George Kennedy is my co pilot, but also Joe Dawowski, Praising Kane, uh, uh, How Do You Do, Fellow Kids. Uh, we do our own stunts, uh, covering all the different topics that we're interested in. Uh, they can also find Cinepunks on social media. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And, of course, we're on Twitter, at uh, CinemaSmorg, S-M-O-R-G. And, Liam, you also run a t-shirt company called Rough Cut. You can check sure. out the latest releases of uh, Rough Cut shirts over at Rough Cut Fan Club. Dot com. You can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. And Liam is down there as well. At Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. And if you are enjoying what you're hearing right now, whether it be George Kennedy is my co-pilot or one of our other Cinema Smorgasbord podcasts, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? Or, hey, even better, tell a friend that you're enjoying it. Tell them that they should listen as well. Every little bit helps. But for now, we need to say goodbye to George Kennedy just for a little while. We're going to take him out of the George Kennedy bag again in a few weeks where we're going to check out 1988's Naked Gun. And boy, I can already feel that this is going to be a contentious episode. <laughs> we'll, be back. we'll be back very soon with the George Kennedy Classic. Good night, everyone. Night-night. Night-night.